And then you, you put a team around you. And, and I think this is always hugely important, not just in sport, but I think in every walk of life, for you to flourish and for you to truly get the best out of yourself, you have to surround yourself with people that, that can help that happen and actually help bring that out of you. Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to get those happy hormones firing. Whether it's a dopamine hit from reaching a career goal, a rush of oxytocin from spending time with loved ones, a surge of serotonin from practicing self-care, or a fitness class to send endorphins soaring. My next guest is the greatest British long jumper in history, Greg Rutherford. In this podcast, we discuss what it takes to become an Olympic champion, how he's coping with being a dad of soon-to-be three children, postponing his wedding due to COVID, and winning MasterChef 2019. I hope you enjoy. Well, Greg, it's, uh, it's such an honour to have you on the podcast. I was um, reading a lot about your career. Oh, thank you for having me. You, you've achieved a lot in your lifetime, haven't you? Um, you've won Olympic gold on your home turf, and you've got like nine medals or something. And you won Master Chef in 2019, which is incredibly impressive. So yeah, and, and <laughs> you're you. and you're about to be a father of three. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, a slightly, uh, yeah, yeah. Should we say it's going to be it's going to be a busy household to say yeah. the least. It's yeah. uh, no, it's, it's absolutely amazing though. We're, we're really excited about it, uh, and we um, and it's a little girl this time. So with the two oh. boys and that, it's um, it's great. So it's the I will always say that the children are the crowning glory of everything that's that sort of happened in my life. Um, yeah. the sport and stuff and, and obviously MasterChef and everything else are all brilliant but the children are always the most important thing of oh, course. That's lovely. <laughs> well we, we like to kick off our podcast by talking about you know, career and what drives us um, and so from reading a little bit about you I can see you come from a very sporty family. Your father yes. and your grandfather were both footballers and you looked at becoming a footballer yourself before turning to athletics. So I, yeah. I did. Yeah, it was so the, the 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 major football player was actually my great grandfather who played for Arsenal, England, and everything else. Um, I mean, it's a long time ago. It's always really interesting this one because when I was younger and I, and I was sort of know about. I mean, he died in the nineteen sixties um, and played sort of from before World War One through into the nineteen twenties. But he he was for his time a really popular. Um, and I guess well-known footballer. This is before the times of, of heavily professional football and everything. But um, he played in some amazing matches. Played for Arsenal, played for Newcastle, say England eleven times, um, and was yeah, it was somebody that, that obviously had that sporting gene. Um, and it and it did go through a bit. And and then I I sort of came along. I, I attempted to make it in football. Uh, I think I was lucky that I realised I wasn't quite good enough or going to be good enough. Uh, but I was determined to find a sport that I could succeed in. Uh, and then eventually I found athletics. And from that, within athletics, then found the long jump. And here we are now. So, yeah, from a very sporty family. So did that drive you to become an athlete yourself? You, you had it in your DNA. You were you were determined yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, is it? I mean, look, look, fundamentally, I think because it's in the family, it doesn't obviously necessarily mean that it's going to happen and that it's destined to happen. Uh, mm. But I, I loved sport so much. And, and as a youngster, um, every sport, literally every sport there was, I would try. Uh, so be that football, which I took to a relatively decent level, rugby, badminton. I had sort of county trials for badminton as well. Had a period where I was trying to play table tennis as well at a club in Milton Keynes, which I was attending. Um, I tried I tried everything that was available to me anyway. And, and I, I just, there was something about sport and there was something about what I, I'd seen that sport can also bring to others as well. I, I sort of tell the same thing a lot. My, my first ever sporting memory is watching Linford Christie win the 100 metres at the Barcelona 92 Olympics. And 
for me, it's not as, as such the run, and I've watched it many times back, so I have a better understanding of it. It was what was happening around me and how it was impacting my family and how excited everybody was. I was only, what, five at the time. But I could see from a really early age the impact that sport can have on people's emotions, their days, everything else. So I, I realised that it was something very, very special and people really enjoyed. And it was something that I, I def, definitely from a young age wanted to be involved with. Um, so I think knowing that there was some form of sporting um, sort of history within my family uh, and knowing that I had some ability myself, it, it just gave me that fire to, to keep pushing and keep working and find the sport for me, as I say, because football, I, I love football to this day. And I, I played a lot and, and I did take it to a relatively decent level, but it was never going to be the thing that was was going to make me into a professional sports person. I was never going to be quite good enough. And thankfully, I was willing to accept that. And I, I just went on the hunt to find the one that would would be my my career, if you like. Yeah, and under 30 years later, you've you've had quite a lot of titles, haven't you? You've got like the Commonwealth, European, World, and there's more, aren't there? Yeah, there's, yeah. Lot, there's lots more. Yeah. And you and you're probably the, the greatest British long jumper in our history, which is an amazing achievement. And do you do you ever like reward your success? Do you have a, a moment where you actually kind of yeah, you reward you give yourself a pat on the back, or do you kind of pick apart <laughs> things you could have done better? Are you a bit of a perfectionist as well? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely the latter. From my point of view, there, there's always things, there's always the maybe the odd missed opportunity or something else that I wish I would have done during my career. Uh, I, I think and a lot of people said this. I remember Matthew Pinson saying to me, um, years ago like you win an olympic title winning in london 2012 he said it would take years and years and years for you to really understand what that means and the impact that that has and i think to this day i mean it's eight years ago that i won um i'm two years retired now i i don't think it's properly settled or or, or really hit home what that means and, and what it is to achieve there's there's always things i can think about to say oh i'd like to have done this or i'd like to if that would have been slightly different and that's just just how it works, really. So there's never really been a time that I guess I've really sat there and gone, "Car, that was amazing." I mean, obviously, I have memories and there's certain aspects of it that you think about and you go, "Wow!" Like because I jumped into a sandpit and look, fundamentally, I ran in a straight line and I jumped into a sandpit. That that's what I did. That was the crux of what I did. But because of it, it's given me the opportunity to do amazing things and and I guess change my life to a to a certain degree, uh, which I think is is an amazing thing and again it shows the power of sport and what it can do i mean look, I'm, I'm from bletchley and milton Keynes. Mm. it's it, i don't think many expected when i was younger for for me to go on and have the, the sort of life and career that, that i've had um so i'm very very proud of it and the more i think the more time i spend away from the sport the more it, it starts to sink in yeah and how important is it to have a rival in sport to kind of aid your performance? Because Chris Tomlinson is somebody who comes up quite a lot in terms of competing with you. Um, yeah, how, how important has that been to driving you forward? Yeah, I, th I think rivals are really, really important. It was a very interesting one with, with me and Chris. We, we, we never particularly got on, but there was never really... I'm, I'm generally fine with everybody. Like I get on well with all my competitors, everything else. I think because that British rivalry changed it slightly. But what I very quickly learned and, and I had to develop, and I think is very important, especially for, for athletes when they are trying to break through, is if your aspiration is to become the best in the world, your, your rivals have to be the very best in the world. So what quickly happened, for, we had the, uh, like a British rivalry, um, which was quite fierce for a few years. But then from my point of view, 
I was so determined to become the very best in the world. I was looking at the guys who were the best and it was about beating them. And I guess the rivalry between me and Chris started to, to peter out a little bit, probably after 2012, everything else. He was a bit older than me as well, obviously, so he was coming towards the end of his career. But I, I think what is important, you have to find and say the very best. If you want to become best, you have to beat the best. So those rivals had to be, um, in 2012 particularly, it was Mitchell Watt, the, the Australian, who again is a good friend of mine, but I, he was one of the best in the world, so I wanted to beat him. And he ended up finishing second at the Olympic Games in, in 2012, um, when I think a lot of people expected him to win leading, leading in. Um, but they are really important because, again, they give you an extra bit of fire. And I think it's always nice to have something where you're going into competition thinking, I want to beat you I want to beat these people and if they jump well as it was in my case it's about responding to that and it's about be, having the ability to then get out there and do even better um, so rivals really do pull you through and they give you the opportunity to to better yourself really especially when your your goal is to become the very best in the world yeah and you kind of you've retired at the top of your game didn't you I mean you've won all the titles you've got a lot of medals and and then you've gone on to do presenting um, and you've also recently been on TV, a MasterChef, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. And not only did you compete, you won it, which is amazing. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, that was a surprise. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, look, I also knew towards the end of my jumping career that it was coming to an end. I, mm -hmm. I'd had injuries again. I'd had a surgery on my left ankle, which, which, which failed, basically. So that meant it, it was going to be over. So, so I, I made sure I had everything in place so I could sort of seamlessly leave the sport and move into other things. And presenting and being involved with TV was something that really interested me. I'd been fortunate. I'd, I'd done quite a lot of it in the lead up to my uh, retirement. So I'd already made the En-ROADS in order to, to make sure I had a, a route effective, effectively. And then something like the opportunities of, uh, well, so, for example, Strictly in 2016 uh, and then MasterChef in 2019. I, I go into all of them with very little expectation because, uh, I, again, I'm stepping way outside of my, my comfort zone. Um, I wasn't some great cook before I started the show. I, I cooked really basic things. Um, and since the show, I've been able to then really hone some skills and, and work hard. But what comes with my personality and the, the, the traits that I learned as an athlete, I can transfer to other things. And shows such as MasterChef are a great opportunity for me to, to switch on that competitive side of my brain again mm -hmm. and use that to focus myself in to then try and succeed. Because I don't go in and go, I have to win this. I'm going to win this. It's about doing as well as I possibly can. It's about challenging myself and giving myself the best opportunity to, to succeed on it. Um, I'd like to think I can turn competitiveness on and off. So I'm not always competitive. I think everybody was expecting, if you're a sportsman, oh, you must be competitive with everything. I know what I'm good at in life and I know I'm bad and I'm, I'm, I'm bad at most things. So I'm very happy to not try and challenge everybody to everything because I know certain things I'm going to lose. Um, but I will work incredibly hard to be as good as I possibly can. But you must have been quite a good cook to, to actually win MasterChef because it was an amazing kind of scotch egg and lamb cutlets, wasn't it, that, <laughs> that won you the, uh, the title? How, so did you do a lot of cooking growing up? Um, so it's a really interesting thing with this as well. So when I was really young, I used to watch like my mum, my grandma cook a lot. And I, and I used to say, oh, I, I want to be a chef and I want to run a restaurant when I'm older. Mm. But I, I, I didn't particularly try to learn the skills of a, a cook at that point. I just would watch. 
And I then went in, into sort of my, my late teens. And my second job was working as a waiter in a sort of an American style restaurant in Milton Keynes. And I very quickly learned how difficult and how stressful it is being in that environment. And it very quickly turned me off the idea of wanting to be a, a cook. And I was so determined to become a sportsman at that time. But that's where the focus was. Mm. So I spent a lot of time developing really basic skills because as an athlete, again, I was constantly on the road. So I'd be overseas and I'd be in a training camp in could be South Africa or America, where I spent a large part of my career. And you have to cook for yourself. And for me, protein and veg were really, really important things. So I'd like to think that I was pretty good at cooking, say, some wild salmon or, say, some aubergine on the barbecue or something. But the skills to be considered a cook or a chef, um, I had to learn on the show. Mm, That's amazing. And how did that experience compare with winning, say, an Olympic medal? Yeah, so I mean, this is an interesting one as well, isn't it? I mean, because obviously you, you have the high of the success again and it all going well and it being great and everything. But look, my job and my the sacrifices that I've made during my young life in order to have the opportunity to compete at Olympics and win Olympics will always massively outweigh any form of show um, where effectively for, I think it was six to eight weeks overall is what we filmed the entire show in. I dedicated everything in that time, but that six to eight weeks of my life to try and win a cooking show, which has what, 14, 15 people in it or something. I was effectively trying to better my body and my, my and ha- well, have a career, which was against anybody in the world. You could effectively, anybody in the world, if you were good enough at jumping, could step in onto that, that runway and, and challenge. Mm-hmm. So the success you feel from a sporting um high like that is is always going to outweigh anything else i think um so for me definitely winning at uh, olympic games is yeah it was far harder to do and uh (laughs) it it means an awful lot more (laughs) do you you have your master chef trophy on on the same shelf as all your other trophies well joe's really interested with this this says a lot about me i think my master trophy does live in the kitchen actually um whereas whereas my olympic medals and they're all in a safe locked away and i very rarely see them um but the plan is, because we're having a house renovated at the moment, the place once the house is ready, I might frame a few of my vests and put them up in different places um, to have a few memories of when I was good at sport, not just cooking. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's, it's amazing what you start to like really enjoy a bit more. Like, I love cooking now and I've really developed like a, a passion for it. So I guess because that's more recent to me, something like MasterChef I'm, I'm very proud of and I, I really enjoy purely because it is recent and it's a new focus that I can put what I used to do as an athlete into in, and, and push in that direction. Yeah, awesome. So moving on to relationships, uh, is it right that you were planning to get married uh, during this whole pandemic and you've had to postpone it? Yes. So in January of this year, we were in Arizona planning the final stages of the wedding, which were meant to take place in October. Right. Um, we were doing a, a destination wedding with sort of, yeah, most people are sort of ready to cut, all that sort of stuff. And then the pandemic hit and we very quickly realised because of obviously what's what's taking place that first and foremost, for a lot of people, it's very difficult. I mean, even, even for us now to have everything out there is, is, is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't want to put any pressure on anybody else. So we, we postponed it and, and moved it forward, uh, moved it back, sorry, in order to give everybody enough time and hopefully for the world to reset a little bit. The plan is still to, to go to Arizona and, and, and do it. Um, but 
we have to sort of wait and see now because it's it's the obviously as we all know the world's in a bit of a mess at the moment it's a bit of a, mm. a difficult time so um as long as we can get everything settled everything set again um the plan is to do it at some point in the future now <laughs> yeah and it's such a pain isn't it because you, you put all of that energy into it and then you have to just like postpone it and it must be hard for your wife as well because I, I think she's pregnant isn't she with her third baby so it must be quite hard yes yeah yeah so that that was basically that was a decision we sort of made because we knew the wedding now wasn't going to take place the plan was always to have one more child afterwards but we sort of mm -hmm. said you know what and I and say it's the nicest way let's get it out the way um yeah. and, and I was saying no it's not I mean I mean the most loving way possible but just so it's then we're not umming and ahhing and then putting things off and then whatever else uh, the plan was to try and have the children uh, and then we all grow as a family, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so it, it was difficult, but look, fundamentally we, 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 it's, it's quite solid. There's, there's no real issues. Thankfully, mm. Susie is in no way a bridezilla or anything. So there's no real good. massive stress. Yeah. And, <laughs> so uh, we've done all right there. That's good. And a lot of people have had to do the same, sadly. It's just Completely. been a full time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're, you're currently a father of two. What is, what's yes. it been like during lockdown together as a family? Has it brought you all closer together? Has it been nicer spending time together? I think so. Yeah. I mean, what was really interesting, this is the longest period of time that I've ever spent being based in the UK from mm -hmm. the age of 18. When I turned professional, I was constantly flying off all over the world. And it's one of the most amazing things of, of my previous job is I got to travel so much and I love traveling, but it did become more and more difficult. The older the children got with me leaving and then, then starting to understand, especially my oldest Milo, he's now six. And I mean, what, well, he's what still five, whatever else I'm still nipping overseas and whatever else he'd get quite upset about it. So I, I was literally in New York about, I think, three days or two days before they went into lockdown the first time and about a week or so before we went into lockdown here. And still at that point, I think a lot of us were a bit like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. It won't take very long. But obviously now, I mean, some people obviously have gone overseas, but I, I've now been in the UK solid since I got back from, from New York. And that's that's the longest it's, it's ever been. But it has given me such a great opportunity to spend so much more time with the children. Um, and we've had a brilliant time because of it. And we, especially during the, the warmer months, because we, we've got we've got a garden here. We were outside playing in the garden all the time and, and it was brilliant. And, and the children thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, they're young enough for it to not impact them too much in the way of schooling, etc. It's not like they had their GCSEs or A-levels or something like that going on. Um, mm. So they had a good time with it. And um, we just tried to make the best of what was a difficult situation. But look, you obviously especially in the first one you couldn't see any family members you couldn't really go and see friends obviously and, and do any of that side of things that was where the children struggled a little bit um mm. so we had to keep them as active as possible and and have as much fun as we possibly could as well yeah and like we mentioned before you're about to become a father again are you excited now about having a girl is that is that yeah. something you've always wanted yeah it's, it's a funny old thing isn't it so the, the plan was we tried one more time and see if we could get a girl um and then that would be fantastic because Susie sadly suffers with hyperemesis. So she's always incredibly unwell when she's pregnant. She's a bit better over this stage, but for the first three, four months or so, she's in a really bad way. Um, so she doesn't really want to have to do it again. So it's nice to finally get the, yeah, the final piece of the puzzle, if you like, and, and everything's sort of complete and settled and whatever else. I mean, it's going to be a learning curve. Things with boys, we, we, we were sort of, we know what to expect everything was prepared. I mean, if you like, we'd have had clothes and everything else. Now it's, it, it's figuring it out again. And then you hear different things. Parents of girls sell very different, etc. So yeah, it, it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be different, um, but it's going to be really lovely, I think.
Yeah, what a lovely thing to come out of the pandemic, though, because presumably she was pregnant throughout this throughout. I don't know when you're when you're expecting. Um, uh, yeah, so to to not at the very beginning of it, but yeah, yeah. So during a part of it, so I mean, as I say, it was it was quite rough because Susie was quite unwell for a few months and she was stuck in bed or then in hospital. Um, but yeah, look, there's a real positive to come out of something that's been a very hard year for so many people. But the funny thing is, it just seems so many people are having babies now. Yeah, uh, I know. There's a boom, isn't there? <laughs> the pandemic crazy. boom. Yeah. Uh, but again, say so it, it is a positive thing and it's a lovely thing. Yeah. Um, and as you sort of put it, yeah, I mean, it's a nice thing to come out of something that's a, it's been a really difficult year. Yeah, amazing. I've just had one myself, actually. Have some oh, myself. congratulations. Oh, <laughs> six, fantastic. Six weeks old. Is, uh, oh, brilliant. Well doing done. Doing a, a lap of the village with my husband in the car seat just to <laughs> kill some time. Oh, lovely. He'd be, be squawking in the background. Is, um, is that your first? Or is that's that... my second. Second, I, I, oh, brilliant. I got the girl and the boy combo, so I'm, I'm oh, drawing well the done. line there. Yeah. Oh, you're done, you're done at two now. <laughs> yeah. I don't Tick blame box. you. Yeah, it's quite hardcore, oh, isn't it, being pregnant? But, but yeah, now... Yeah, I'm, I don't know much about it myself, again, but I can only obviously watch and I sympathise massively because, yeah, what, what what you put yourselves through is unbelievable. But then... But well done. Oh, but this brings us to the next point, which is all about, like, self-care. And so being a father, you obviously go through the whole lack of sleep thing as well as your wife. Yeah. So how, how are you affected by that? Do you tag team together? Or, yeah, how does it affect your mental health? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's hard. And I think anybody who's not a parent doesn't quite get it as well. I mean, it's been so far, we're one of the first in our friendship groups to have children. And then all of a sudden, you, I mean, we, I'll be honest, I've not always been the best timekeeper. I try very hard, but you'd, some, you'd be trying to leave the house. You know what it's like, trying to leave the house, then all of a sudden a nappy split or something's happened. You're like, oh, God, so you're late. And, and friends are always like, oh, for goodness sakes. But it, it's it's hard work. I mean, it's genuinely difficult when you're trying to function as a normal human living off of very limited amounts of sleep. Mm. And, and I was doing something, especially we, we had Milo in 2014 and 2014 actually was one of my best years athletically. And then 2015, I would probably say it's my best ever. So it, it clearly didn't affect me too much, but I had to adapt. I mean, you, you start to learn that just getting 45 minutes an hour of unbroken sleep is a good thing yeah. <laughs> we, we, we had with Milo he had silent reflux as well so he couldn't lay flat so he was constantly feeling poorly which meant that we were constantly up with him um and Are I take a, I've, ex I've got the exact same thing at the moment I really sympathize oh, no. I didn't know if it was silent reflux or just snuffles the GP put snuffles in his red book right. but but very similar exactly but yeah he, so obviously competing at the same time so I can't remotely begin to Sorry for myself when you're doing well, that. Well, no, no, look, everybody, everybody has to deal with it though. And, it, and I feel sorry for everybody equally because it's hard, hard work and it is difficult. And, and I basically, uh, I want to be, and always wanted to be a very hands-on dad. So I, I didn't want to just be like, look, I'm an athlete. No, I can't do this. I'm going to go in a different room. And look, sometimes Susie was amazing with it and she'll go, I say I was a few days out from a competition, whatever. She'll say, you go sleep in the spare room for a couple of days, try and catch up on some sleep um, to get ready for it, which was, which was absolutely amazing. But I, I sort of became chief winder for, for the children. Um, I was doing all that. Sort of, and I'm very hands-on and, and I love all of that. For, for me, being a dad is very, very important. And I want to have that close bond as, as close as possible with the children. Mm. Um, but you have to adapt. You have to get used to it. And I think as well, having a good support group around you. So 
my coach was was amazing with it. He understood entirely and, and was really good. And we sort of sometimes would move training times. So I wasn't as knackered as, as I possibly could be, um, which was great. But you, you adapt. And I think everybody adapts. You develop, you learn and you, you build on things. Um, and I was I'm always somebody that tries to say as, as buoyant as po- and as positive as possible. So I never saw the fact that I was not sleeping as much or everything. I didn't say it as a, as a huge negative. It was because of a wonderful reason. So I embraced it fully and just did the best I possibly could. Yeah, it's amazing. In these current times, we've all been cooking at home a lot more than usual. That means it can be hard to find recipe inspiration. But by using wild seafood from Alaska, which can be cooked straight from frozen, you can create delicious, protein-packed meals in minutes. Alaska salmon is naturally high in omega-3, vitamin D, and is low in fat, making it good for the heart, body, and mind. Alaska seafood is caught in some of the cleanest waters in the world, and Alaska is 100% committed to sustainable fishing practices. Check out at Alaska Seafood UK on Instagram for recipe inspiration, or visit alaskaforeverwild.com for more information. Um, have you ever suffered from like performance anxiety or stress during your career? And if so, how have you coped? Yeah, I think everybody at some point has the, these situations. And in the early part of my career, I most certainly was more concerned about things that were going on because I hadn't had the experience of, of winning or being successful within the sport. And you're trying to find your way. It's, it's a bit like you could sort of compare it to like a, to a bit like a, a youngster. They go to school and they're five years, four or five years old or whatever it is. And you're trying to find out the pecking or trying to figure out things. It'd be quite scary, et cetera. When you're a young athlete, that's what's happening. You're developing, you start, you're, you're gaining that experience to understand what's happening. And at times, absolutely, there, were, there, were, there was anxiety and there's concerns. Um, and there would have been times actually where it affected performance quite, quite dramatically, especially when I was young. Um, and then you, you put a team around you. And I think this is always hugely important, not just in sport, but I think in every walk of life, for you to flourish and for you to truly get the best out of yourself, you have to surround yourself with people that that can help that happen and actually help bring that out of you. So I look at my first Olympics in 2008 and I didn't have a good team around me. We didn't we didn't have a a solid situation, which meant that I could thrive and and perform. And, And I changed that group in the end of 2009, changed coaches, changed everything. And by 2012, I had such a strong group around me that those anxieties that I would have felt previously were were easily dealt with because I had a solid plan in place. I understood and knew what I'd done to to get to that point. Um, And I believed so fully in the team that I'd put together that I managed to, to just stay on top of it. But in the early days, when, when you don't have that experience, you don't have that team around you, I could find myself feeling obviously physically sick and, and genuinely shaky before performances because I didn't know what was going to, what was happening. I didn't have that experience. I didn't have that belief in my, my, my team to think that no matter what, I'm going to have a good day today. Um, so as I say, so developing understanding, gaining that experience to having that team gave me the opportunity to then push on to have the successes, which I've, I, I then went on to have. Um, and I think having that perseverance and belief in yourself even if things aren't going particularly well, is hugely important to help that that develop. Mm. And we touched on food earlier and how you you know you need to have a very set diet with your protein and everything. Like how how does food affect how you feel? Like are you quite um, good at kind of preparing meals in advance? Yeah, food's hugely important. Um, and something for me that was 
so I really had to be careful about. And actually, my early career, my, my understanding of food and, 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 what, and how to fuel was, was quite limited. And it wasn't until I joined Dan, my coach, in 2009 that I started to develop a, a much stronger understanding. Um, and later as well, one, one of my best friends runs a DNA company that, that sort of tests you for your fitness and things like that and, and what, what goes on. And we basically found for the years of me trialing that I am susceptible to putting on weight if I don't eat certain things or, or train in certain ways. And, and I have to be very careful due to injury risks, et cetera. So for me, high protein and, and high veg was the bulk of, of my diet during my career. And again, genetically, that's, that, that sort of shows the things that I need um, and how to aid performance. Uh, and that is something that, that for me, we sort of touched it before I went into MasterChef with a basic understanding of cooking. But often it, it would be for me cooking something like, again, wild salmon with, with veggies or a chicken breast with with veggies and things. You have to find the fuel that you know is going to work for your body and make sure that you're, you're sourcing correctly and using the, the right things in order to give yourself the best opportunity and to maximize. Nutrition is a hugely important part, as I say, of, of, of everybody's life, let alone sport. And if you have some fundamentals as well, where things are coming from, et cetera, you have to source out the, the best stuff. Um, and that for me is, is something that's important now and was incredibly important while I was an athlete. Because mm, they, they call the gut your second brain, don't they? It's incredibly important to your, how you feel. Yeah, completely. And there's a lot of research as well. Again, having a, a really strong and healthy gut does have a, a massive implication on, on your brain as well. So they're, they're, they're very much connected. I think most people can tell and see if you are keeping yourself in, in a, a, well, you've got healthy mannerisms about what you do and with, with your life. Generally, you function better. Um, and it, and it's, it's better for every aspect of your life. So I'm a huge advocate for, for people eating well. But on top of that, I think finding things that are, are properly sourced um, and basically we are looking after obviously the environment and everything else as well that comes with it. I think these are all really important things that people need to take on board um, when eating. Yeah. So coming to health and fitness. So you're obviously you're not competing at the same level anymore, um, but you, you still train. So what, what does a typical kind of week look like for you now? Um, I, I'm really lucky. So I, I converted a room at the house into a gym probably back in 2015. Um, so I can still use it now. So I still do some of the free weight. So actually the, the weight lifting side of things in the gym is very similar to the performance led lifting that I would do as an athlete. Um, Cause I know that works for my body. And that, that's always a big thing. I think when you, with health and fitness, you find what works for you. Um, and it goes the whole way through. Again, your nutrition is really important. Your, your actual training is very important. So I also used to run hills an awful lot and steps. That was a core part of my training. And, and I still do that now. And, and it's something that, again, I find it works with my fitness. I can mix it up slightly so I can now go for long runs if I want to. So ever so often I run like a 5K, maybe a 10K. Um, but I, I, recently in particular, I've gone back to the training that I used to do as an athlete without any jumping. I mean, I distanced myself from sand nowadays. Sand is no longer involved in my life. Mm. Uh, but the same training practices, because I knew they worked for my body, they helped me stay fit and healthy. Um, and obviously they're not as, as high intensity as, uh, as they were before. So the injuries that I had as an athlete aren't sort of rearing their ugly heads again. Um, but I find for so many reasons, staying fit and active has a massive positive impact on me. Um, so to, to lift in the gym, say three times a week, and then run on the steps, say three times a week as well. If I can fit that in 
and it, it does it doesn't take hours to get done either these are much shorter sessions so probably up to an hour at the most um but they're really really good for you and then there's like circuit-based training and things as well which you can just do body weight stuff a few sit-ups and press-ups before bed and when you get up in the morning um really basic stuff but again everything that gives a really positive feel to to mind and body yeah i was going to ask you if you had a, a long jump pit in your back garden but presumably <laughs> not <laughs> no i do no you i do, do. Oh, you do. Uh, yeah <laughs> so relatively relatively famously back in uh two this must be 15 16 time i used the side of the garden which was just long enough to fit a runway and pit it and we had all that put in and uh yeah i i used it a bit but it's now just um, it's just used for the children to ride their bikes on uh, and the, the, the pit itself is actually now covered. But you can get access to it if you want. But the, the, the rainwater collects on the cover that's on it and then the ducks use it as a pond. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, so it's nice, exactly. It's nice for wildlife, but definitely not for jumping anymore. <laughs> so how do you seek out the same kind of endorphin rushes as you did when you were competing? Like, do you have any kind of other hobbies aside from sport that give you that kind of that rush of feel good? Yeah, and I think this is always important. Often sports sports people when they retire they're always searching for for how to find that high and I, I think I was lucky because I again I knew my career was coming to an end and I knew I had to move on mm-hmm. but then I, I I tried so I really enjoy mountain biking we have a group of guys around here where I live that we mountain bike together and you can make that as, as scary or as, as as light as you like and sometimes we push it a bit hard I've had a few meetings with trees um, mm-hmm. which neither me nor my bike enjoys particularly um mm-hmm. but it, it, it gives me that level of of adrenaline i guess and that release that you can you can still push i, I was always quite into extreme sports when i was younger so i tried the skeleton bobsleigh in 2014 as well um which i really really enjoyed i toyed with the idea for a long time of, of joining the bobsleigh team just to to, to do that because it's a sort of semi-easier path if you like to get into um but the mountain biking in particular is something that I enjoy and I ski and, and that's always been a big thing. But I mean, I'm very controversy. We can't do that at the moment and I'm probably going to struggle this winter. But there's something about that. It's always about pushing those limits. I obviously have to be careful now being a dad, but I, I do like pushing myself um, and, and working hard with regards to, to, that, to that. And that, that, that again, that adrenaline rush, that feeling of being on the edge is something mm-hmm. that I, I live for, to be totally honest. Yeah. And would you ever encourage your kids to pursue a similar career path as you? Yeah, this is an interesting one as well. And look, I mean, I would say that I wouldn't want my children to be track and field athletes. I think sadly the sport's not in a great place as it stands. I hope maybe when they're older it is and it's recovered and, and, it, and it's great. There's a lot of politics and a lot of problems behind the scenes in the sport, which makes me think that it'd just be very, very difficult. But look, I, I want my kids to be fit and active. That's 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 the first and most important thing of it. If for whatever and whatever sport that is, they show some form of sporting prowess and an opportunity to take it further, I will 100% support that. And I'll be standing next to the pitch, the court or whatever it will be, um, cheering them on and, and doing everything possible that, to, to, to help them succeed. But from my point of view, there is zero pressure on my children to become professionals in sport. I want them to enjoy what they do. I want them to get a good education, something that I probably didn't do. Um, and I want them to, to just have passion for, for what they do. I think it's all well and good people aiming to, to, to go into sport and they think that'd be it. But often people don't genuinely love it. I loved sport. Like it was everything about me. And I was determined to go and do that. If my children don't have that determination within sport, but they have it in 
I don't know, architecture, anything, whatever it might be. It was the first thing that came into my, to my head then. That's what I want them to do. I want them to, to, to chase that and, and hopefully fulfill any desires they've got there. Um, but that they will play sports. I will take them to sports teams. But if they're not good at it, that's fine. As long as they stay fit and active, that's all that matters to me. Yeah, I think a lot of them are going to be just cleaning up the, the mess that the world is in right now, aren't they? Well, They're going to be yeah. little eco warriors. Well, that's the thing. That, that, and that's the, I think that's what's also very important as well for us as parents is, is to, mm. to sort of push that onto them. We, we obviously genuinely do have an opportunity now to, to mould the young brains that, that we've created in order to, to hopefully be better um, and, yeah, try and unpick some of the mess that's ongoing at the moment. So mm. fingers crossed. Fingers crossed they clean it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what else have you got on today? Have you got a, a busy schedule? Um, actually, apart from tidying up, it's been, I'm sort of looking around the room as I say that, as I see something hanging off the walls. Because <laughs> we've been having so much building work going on here. It's been absolutely manic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's, it's sort of, I'll throw a load of things in a skip that's in the garden, pick up the, I've, I've sadly, one of my dogs is quite unwell at the moment as well. So I'm sort of, I'm waiting on um I'm waiting on a call to find out what's going to happen there. So a little bit stressful, but um, yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll be fine. But it's just sort of yeah keeping busy and whatever else until we find out that stuff. But I'm looking outside of the front room that I'm now sitting in. I can see plasterboard, bits of off cut off cut carpet, sorry, and a radiator leaning against a wall. So got your name on it. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's lots to be done here. Well, Greg, it's been such a pleasure having you on the Dose podcast. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.